gorgeous crystals. Serious care. Our pro vitamin B5. Long Eyewitness News has been exploring the stranglehold of power and the litany of organized crime violence here in the Mahoning Valley. More from City Hall reporter Denny Brand. This is Denny Brand reporting from Akron Federal Court. For a young reporter, every day was an adventure. It's Youngstown, okay. They were closing the steel mills at the time. And steel jobs in the valley shrunk to 30,000. You know, the mob was fighting over the crumbs, if you will, and they were shooting people, hitting them. For several murders in Youngstown. Shots were fired from a truck parked in an adjacent lot. Indiscriminate death and violence and the bombing murders and what have you. And they were blowing stuff up. Bombing and shooting incidents were rackets related. They say the brutal killing was a message to others. It was coming pretty fast and furious. It was all kind of crazy. From the Sheriff's Department, from the Board of Elections, Denny Brand, Denny Brand, Denny Brand, 33 Eyewitness News. My name is Denny, like Denny's Restaurant, Brand, B-R-A-N-D. I was a police reporter and investigative reporter. Back in August of 1982, Denny Brand was working for WYTV in Youngstown. I was covering a lot of mob stuff. Maybe a murder, might be a drug deal. I mean, it could be anything. I, you know, worked on sources pretty hard. And I had sources at the FBI that indicated that there was some big stuff going down on trafficking. They told me, you know, he was involved with mob payoffs and um, that they had a confession. Somehow I got a hold of the signed confession. Traffic was always calling news conferences and that kind of thing. So he called a news conference about 24 hours later. Ladies and gentlemen, I will not answer any question that I feel would jeopardize a legal position that I must maintain now. And if some of you continue to look at me like that, I'm going to get upset and I'm going to remove you. You know, he started to, you know, I'm not involved. It wasn't me. You know, the usual stuff. And I'm making a statement here today to the United States of America who is now having James Trafficking on trial. I had not taken illegal money for political favors. At that point, you know, I'd kind of had enough. So I had the confession and I pulled the confession out of my coat pocket and I threw it up the desk where he was holding the news conference. Jim, are you saying this statement that you made to the FBI that I have here, it says, I accepted money from Orlando Carabia, Charles Carabia, Joseph Naples, and Joe Prado. Are you saying that that's not? I'm saying that this statement that's right here, statement entered into that. federal court, is not the statement that I signed. And he was like startled, like, uh, uh, that's not my handwriting. That's not your signature? I'm not saying that's not my signature, because my signature and the technicalities could be handled. I don't know. And I go, yeah, I've already confirmed that it is your handwriting. I'm saying this, this is not the signature I signed. It was not this long. And I was I a trafficker guy from then on. My boss said, you know, you're on the trial. For the next year, Denny followed Trafkin as he prepared to face the federal government in the courtroom. Trafkin held press conference after press conference, trying to convince the people of Youngstown that he wasn't a bad guy. You know, his news conference was usually pretty wild. He was a smart guy. He knew how to handle the news media. Sheriff, Sheriff what? You have no questions for me. You're out. You're finished. You know, you have to be ready. You've got to know the answer before you ask the question. Jim, does it bother you can't carry a pistol now? Uh, are Denny, you worried about that? Denny, what a lot of people don't know is this. My body is legally a lethal weapon. Register. <laughs> 
Trafficking's press conferences were never about answering reporters' questions. He used them to send one message. Don't trust the FBI. The ethics of the FBI and the integrity of the FBI will be now on trial. You know, I'm an honest sheriff. They're trying to ruin me. They're making this stuff up. If this is proven, I'm going to arrest the three FBI agents, put him in handcuffs, and take him to Cleveland. Sure. You can call it fake news if you want. <laughs> the poor guy, son of a truck driver, trying to fight this big bad government that's throwing all this stuff on me. FBI agent Bob Croner had arrested Trafficking, and that didn't make him popular in Youngstown, a place that didn't trust outsiders. There was a lot of distrust in the federal government. He was the big bad guy fighting the big bad government. And that message started to land. I feel that they're nitpicking Jim and they're nailing him to the cross. They're just crucifying him. Trafficking's bribery trial would be held in a federal court in Cleveland. But Trafficking wanted to make sure that some of his hometown fans were on the jury. Sheriff Trafficking filed five motions. Trafficking asked that some Youngstown residents be allowed to sit on the jury. He convinced the judge that it wouldn't be fair if she didn't get a jury of his peers here locally. By the time jury selection was over, half the jurors were from Youngstown. All these people that he had convinced he was the Pirate Piper, this was the community that the jury came from. In the final weeks leading up to the trial, Trafficking did something that seemed really foolish. He fired his lawyer and decided to represent himself. I will be facing three upstanding FBI agents saying it was me, and I'll be on my own. I am afraid, and with each week that comes, I will be more and more afraid. It was David against Goliath, the little guy versus the big bad government. It was exactly what Trafficking wanted. And I see people out there who hate my guts, but I'm telling you this, you write whatever you want in your newspaper. You say whatever you want on your television stations. Here's what I'm saying. I'm going to win. I'm Mark Smerling, and this is Crooked City. I opened up the bread box. There are a couple cassette tapes. I did take your money, though, and you do have an interest, and I'll work it out. Sheriff Trafficant was in a plane today while his men staged raids. The whole purpose of this, he's trying to build himself up to be a hero. The sheriff was brought on 10 contempt charges stemming from his refusal to sign foreclosure deeds. And I hate signing those deeds in Mahoney County because these people are losing their homes. For the powerful, influential people in this valley who want me out, here's my statement. Go and fuck yourself. Chapter 5, David and Goliath. It's day one of Jim Trafficking's federal trial. TV reporter Denny Brand is in front of the courthouse in Cleveland, waiting for Trafficking to show. Test. That's on? Yeah. We had to wait outside, couldn't get in the federal courthouse. You know, here comes Jim Trafficking with his bell bottoms flapping in the wind. Sheriff, can I talk to you for a second? Well, I'm preparing to go in and defend myself. 
and I plan to give the government hell. I think the government has gotten big, strong. I think they've been ripping people off, and they've become so powerful, everybody's afraid to challenge them. I may not win, but they better all get their best hold. He started walking to the federal courthouse, and he, but he came back. And he said, I have something to say. I said, go ahead, Jim. And he said, I want to tell the FBI, the DEA, the IRS, the ATF, to go fuck themselves. <laughs> and then he walked in. At 9 a.m., everyone files into the courtroom. The gallery is packed with trafficking supporters and trafficking haters, all there to hear the opening arguments. As they settle in, someone could be heard singing under his breath. Goodbye, Jimmy. Goodbye, Jimmy. The mood is tense in the jurors' box, especially for the six jurors from the Youngstown area. One of them was Don Mumford. I wasn't really hot on becoming a juror. It wasn't like looking forward to some kind of a vacation. It was uh, kind of rough. Mumford didn't know much about Jim Trafficking going in. People would say, Jim Trafficking is crooked. That's about what I heard. I went in there assuming that this Jim Trafficking was getting himself in real trouble. But Mumford had heard one thing that his sheriff, Jim Trafkin, had been arrested for refusing to sign home foreclosure warrants against laid-off steelworkers. He saved a lot of people from being evicted from their homes. And I thought that was wonderful. Mumford glanced over at the prosecutors, headed by assistant U.S. attorney Steve Jigger. He was dressed quite well, a vest, three-piece, and so was everybody at the prosecutor's table. Relatively thin, hyper-self-confident, I think he was a pompous ass. Meanwhile, Trafficant, I would say his dress was terrible. He had kind of cowboy boots on. His outfit looked like an unmade bed. So he, he, he was a very strange looking fella. It was time for Trafficant to give his opening statement. And here comes Trafficant out. And he stood about the distance you are from me, about four feet. And the very first thing he said, I blanked the mob. You know what the blank meant? <laughs> first sentence out of his mouth, there's the F-bombs. FBI agent Bob Croner again. Judge pounding the gavel. Mr. Trafficking, come up here before the bench. And he says, Your Honor, he said, that's the only way I know how to talk. If you don't let me talk like that, I can't defend myself. Well, okay then. I wasn't expecting it, you know. I like the mob. Well, good for you. <laughs> the following reenactment comes from an edited transcript of Trafficking's opening statement. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. One of the questions in this case will be the issue of bribery. At no one time did I willfully and with purpose accept money to do anything illegal. Not at one point. There was no criminal intent on my behalf. There will be witnesses that will come in here and they will describe to you the most unorthodox sting in the history of Ohio politics. Trafkin's defense was that although he had taken money from mobsters Charlie and Orly Carabia and mob boss Jimmy Prado, he did so with a purpose. What I did and what I set out to do very carefully was to design a plan 
whereby I would destroy and disrupt the political influence and the mob control in Mahoning County. Every bit of evidence that you will hear was given by me to the FBI to try to destroy the mob in Youngstown, Ohio. I wanted to cut off the head of the Mahoning County monster. The government has tapes. When you hear these tapes, you're gonna think I'm guilty. All you have to do is listen to them. Your impression will be, my God, how could he have done that? These tapes will show you that I should get an Academy Award. I lied, misled, and ripped off the mob. And that's a little unusual. You see, that's usually what they do. Infect your kids with drugs, control the communities in which you live. But who gives it back to them? Who rips them off? I did that. Those tapes were clearly made to blackmail me. This kid is a little crazy, he can't be controlled, so we have these tapes. And the thrust of it was, if I don't make arrangements with James Prado, those tapes are going to be turned over to the chief of police of Youngstown. Excuse my mouth, but when I get mad, I swear. I said, get in your fucking hole. I'm a candidate for sheriff and I am coming at your back. I feel very badly that I'm on trial and being challenged by my government. These FBI agents are going to come in here with a look of Harvard, beyond reproach because nobody doubts the FBI, and they're going to tell you that I signed a statement that's brought here before the court. Now, I may not be able to prove it, but I did not sign the statement brought into evidence here. I trust the FBI about as far as I could throw this podium. I know I've raised my voice a little bit here, but I am a little upset. You know, one of the rights you have is the right of your opinion and decision, and I'm just going to ask you today to make one commitment to me, just one, and whatever you decide, God bless you. If you believe in your heart, I am innocent. I'm going to ask you to be strong and don't let another person influence you away from it if deep in your heart you feel I'm innocent. I'm going to ask you to stand firm like a junkyard bulldog in the face of a hurricane. I heard that he was kind of iffy on honesty, but I liked him. He was funny. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. 
It's day four of the federal trial of Jim Trafficking. And FBI agent Bob Croner, the government's star witness, swears in and takes a stand. I probably spent a day and a half on a witness stand, is my guess. And uh, it was interesting, to say the least. Under questioning from prosecutor Steve Jigger, Croner told the whole story from the moment he found the bread box tapes. Slide it back, and in the aluminum part of it, there are a couple cassette tapes. And heard Trafkin's voice. They're referring to him as Jim, and they're talking about running for sheriff. To Trafkin signing a confession, saying that he took money from the mob. He says, I can't sign this. This isn't true. I says, okay, let's play the tape, and then you tell us what part of that's not true. He signs the statement. At that moment, Trafficant jumps out of his chair. That's a lie. The judge warns Trafficant to refrain from making comments. But Trafficant walks out of the courtroom, yelling as he goes. These guys are lying through their teeth. He was trying to implant thoughts in the jury's head as to, oh, the agent must be lying. And he got away with it. A minute later, Trafficant is brought back into the courtroom by a U.S. Marshal. It was all so ridiculous. It was theater. And you know what? He played it very well. He played his part. I was out in the hall during a break, and I'm standing up against the wall, and Trafficking came up, put his face right in my face like that, and he absolutely took my space. He's this close to me. And he really, I don't know, even said anything. Maybe just smiled. And I, just, I didn't react to it. I don't think that he did any more than walk away. But that was the kind of guy he was. He tried to intimidate whenever he could. Now it was Trafficking's turn to cross-examine Croner. Good morning, Bob. In reference to your testimony, I have a few questions I would like to ask you. Trafficking starts by going after small inconsistencies in Croner's statements. When did the meeting between them take place? How long was it? But it's not so much what Trafficking asks, it's how he's asking it. He was able to get jabs and things in by way of comments that were totally unacceptable in a proper court proceeding. Did I have a criminal background? Not that I'm aware of. You mean you didn't check that either? Not personally. Did they teach you that in FBI school? No, they didn't teach me that in FBI school. Oh, I see. Well, okay. Objection. These little condescending remarks drew objection after objection from prosecutor Steve Jigger. Your Honor, could we have the defendant instructed to stop making these comments? Well, the only comment he's making is, I see. It's the tone, oh, I see, as if he's disbelieving that. I object to that. We don't make comments. And the judge just allowed it. At the time, I didn't realize what he was really doing. He was never placed under oath, but he testified in every question that he asked. When was the second meeting, Bob? I met with you for the second time on June 17, 1981. Did I explain to you that a local attorney had known of my plans to arrest the mob? Objection. Is that a question, Your Honor, or are we testifying here? He'd ask his question to get things in that he wanted to get in. They weren't even true. To those in the courtroom, like reporter Denny Brand, it seemed like the judge was giving Trafficking a lot of leeway. 
trafficking would do his best to try to flatter her and win her over. And because he was defending himself, she bent over backwards and let him get away with a lot of stuff that your normal attorney wouldn't get away with. Late today, Nina Williams of Mahoning Lumber testified that Fire Chief... I don't like that. Try one more. Denny Brand was there for every day of the trial. And every night, he'd file his stories from the courthouse steps in Cleveland. One more time. If we don't get it, we're booking. Uh, late today, Nina Williams... I covered that from the beginning to the end. It was kind of a grind, but an interesting grind. You know, it would be a circus atmosphere all day, every day. This is Denny Brand reporting via Earth Station 33 from Cleveland. In the first weeks of the trial, the government put on its case against Jim Trafficking. They called FBI agents and cops, even Trafficking's friends. And Trafficking cross-examined each of them, the same way he cross-examined Bob Croner. He ranted and raved. Trafficking was warned not to shout at a witness, Lawrence Lynch, the FBI case agent. He threw fits. Trafficking's frustrations were apparent at one point when he slammed down his papers. Trafficking startled the gallery by angrily ripping out pages of a notebook. He called witnesses liars in open court. The sheriff visibly upset over what he calls massive perjury on the part of FBI agents who were on the stand. And most importantly, he used his line of questioning to make statements about the case to the jury. He was told to quit making speeches in the courtroom. But because he was defending himself, he was aided through it all by Judge Aldrich. On several occasions, Aldrich helped him word his questions. She sometimes lets him ask leading questions to speed things along. Every misstep, every outburst, every out-of-bounds statement was met by Prosecutor Steve Jigger. Objection! 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 But his constant objections ground the trial to a halt and had a negative effect on the jurors, like Don Mumford. Trafficant couldn't get three or four words in before Jigger would yell, objection, 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 time and time again. We were very unhappy with the prosecution because they were mean, they had no empathy. Jim Trafficking earned the sympathy of all the jurors. You could just feel it. In the first weeks of the trial, Trafficking won some small victories. He was able to sow seeds of doubt in the testimony of government witnesses and sow distrust among the jurors. But the most important witness was yet to come, someone he couldn't shout down or call a liar. It was himself, his own voice on tape. For reporters, observers, and the jury, Friday the 13th of May was the most anticipated day of the trial. The prosecution set up a tape player in the courtroom. Steve Jigger walked over to it, put a cassette in, and pushed play. It was a test tape, Elvira, by the Oak Ridge Boys. Put this in your mind, Jimmy. You're the fucking sheriff. They want to make money. The jury listens intently to the voices of Charlie and Orly Carabia from tapes that the FBI found in a bread box. And there's other people involved that's going to say, sit down and straighten this up the right way. That's it. You might remember that the Carabia brothers ran the Cleveland faction of the Youngstown mob. 
and they made these tapes because they didn't trust trafficking. He had already taken money from their enemies, Jimmy Prado and Joey Naples of the Pittsburgh faction. Where do you belong or where do you stand and are you with us or are you with Prado and Joey Naples? Are you with us or are you with Prado and Naples? Trafficking insists he's with them. I am a loyal fucker and my loyalty is here. Right there on tape, Trafficking discusses how much he took from each faction. They have given $60,000. A total of 163000 The jurors listened closely. Don Mumford took notes. And what did you hear on those tapes? Trafficking saying he would take the money. I think that was the big part of it. I did take your money, though, and you do have an interest. Now work it out. The tape spans several conversations in the months leading up to Trafficking's election. And as they go on, Trafficking seems to be more and more worried and paranoid. Yes, they can fuck with me. Half of the sheriffs in Ohio are under investigation. I could be the 45th. No, just like that. So he starts to outline a plan of what he would say if he was ever caught taking bribes from the mob. I would arrest Jimmy, Joey, and have all their fucking cash turn over to the FBI, and here's what they try to do. We've got a corrupt fucking county. He says that he would arrest Jimmy Prado and Joey Naples. If they're going to fuck with me, I'm going to nail them. Lock the motherfucker up. His story would be that he took the bribes as part of a sting operation to take down the mob. I took the money, so when I became the fucking sheriff, I would stop this fucking organized racketeering in Mahoney County. Now, get a fucking attorney. The jury was listening to Trafficking, hatching the very same defense he was using in this trial. Jimmy, I think you're crazy. The sheriff sit down with Youngstown racketeers came back to haunt defendant Jim Trafficking yesterday. It was certainly the most damaging evidence in Trafficking's bribery and tax evasion trial. Folks, the mob doesn't send out the consumer protection man, they blow your head off. So you're trying to say you they did necessary. not bring a case in chief. They did not show an intent. They did not show, nor did they place a crime that occurred as in the indictment. What's and I'm prepared to argument. What's your prediction? My prediction, my prediction will be that the government will win because the government's so powerful. When they win the jury's poll, who's going to want to say they went against the IRS and the FBI? After the government played the Krabia tapes, it rested its case against Jim Trafficking. Now it was Trafficking's turn. And to win, he'd have to attack the credibility of those tapes. Trafficking found a gentleman who owned, I think it was Peppermint Studios in Youngstown. Peppermint Studios is world-renowned for recording polka records. That guy testified that it was obvious that those tapes had been messed with. To refute that, the government brought in one of the foremost experts on recordings. The government brought in the Watergate guy. Those tapes, they've not been cut, they've not been re-recorded over and that kind of thing. Next, Trafficking brought in a witness to talk about the confession he had allegedly signed. Trafficking found someone who had worked on the county fair circuit. He testified that it was obviously a forgery, that Trafficking did not sign the confession. Again, the government refuted that testimony with their own expert, one of the best in the field, who testified that it was Trafficking's signature. 
And so that's kind of how the whole thing went. Watergate expert versus gym traffickers experts, regular kind of people. It was another example of the federal government versus the little guy, the elites versus the laymen. And although traffickers experts weren't at the top of their field, they were from Youngstown, and they spoke the jury's language. Trafficant put on his defense, trying to refute the government's case. But to juror Don Mumford, it seemed that the government wasn't taking Trafficant seriously. The prosecutor's table was parallel to the jury box. While Trafficant was trying to say something or he'd have a witness on the stand, these guys would talk just like I'm talking to you. And I couldn't hear what was going on. They're yakking right out loud. They have no respect for the jury. I told the bailiff, you know, we're, we're having trouble. They had an attitude about them. We're the smart, educated people, and that man over there doesn't know anything. Well, happens the trafficking has a master's, so he's no dummy. As the trial wore on, Mumford says the prosecution's attitude changed from disrespectful to hostile. An FBI agent would sit at the end of the table and he would fix his gaze on one of the jurors and stare at that person the entire day. The next day he would pick another person. This same guy would stare at me and I'd, I would kind of make faces at him. I think it was just plain old intimidation. In other words, if you don't vote for the prosecution, you're going to be in trouble later on. We'd get back in the jury room after this was all over and the women were crying. They thought something bad would happen to them. Trafkin rested his case, finally bringing an end to the trial that was supposed to last a month went for eight weeks. When it went out to the jury, I was sitting with Jim Trafficant. We were outside the courthouse. He looked at me and he said, Brand, he called me Brand a lot. Brand, they got me. They got me. I think he thought that he was going to go to prison for a long time. He said, what do you think, Brand? I said, Jim, you know, it isn't what I think. I'm just going to tell you, I wish you good luck. Did I think Jim Trafficant was guilty? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sheriff Jim Trafficant's fate is now in the hands of the jury. He could get 23 years in prison if convicted. Trafficant made an emotional plea not to find him innocent, but to hang the jury. He said if a juror is in the minority, to hang in there like a junkyard bulldog in a hurricane. In the deliberation room, the jury was mostly concerned with the Carabia tapes. We listened to all that stuff for four solid days. We'd have to run the tapes back and forth, back and forth, to try to figure out what was being said. First day goes by, second day goes by. Now I'm worried about a hung jury. FBI agent Bob Croner was waiting for the verdict and getting more anxious by the hour. How could 12 jurors not come together that he's guilty? even if it was only my testimony in the tapes. 
Here in Cleveland, it's been three days and still no verdict in the James Trafficking bribery trial. All told, 20 hours of deliberation behind closed doors. We're trying to come up with an answer. Uh, nobody's coming to any conclusions. This is just a mishmash of stuff that didn't tell any story. I had a friend in there, and he and I really got together on this and said, look, we got to do something here. So we decided to try to convince the jury to throw the whole works out. When they finally came back with the verdict, I said, ha, ah, bot time. So we all go over to the courthouse and we're sitting in the back of the court and the jury comes in. The judge tells the bailiff to go get the verdict gets the verdict from the jury, takes it up, and the judge sits there, and the judge looks at the verdict. Before she said a word, just I could read her face when she looked at it. Judge Aldridge went one by one. How do you find? Each one of us said not guilty. My God, they acquitted him. What? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Unbelievable because the evidence I felt was overwhelming, but not unbelievable because it was Jim trafficking. In a matter of minutes, the gallery emptied, following trafficking out onto the courthouse steps. He was surrounded by his fans. It was like the circus had hit town. It was crazy. Obviously, he was elated, excited. You know, he's not going to prison. I don't think he even believed it. And I want to first start and thank the people of the valley who supported me and gave me enough moral and physical strength to face this trial. Jim, are you going after the mob now? Are you going after Prado and those guys? I've always been after the mob. The mob fears me, and they should. They should fear me, Denny, even though I suspect you of being a double agent. It wasn't long before the jury joined the crowd out on the steps. We were dismissed, and we could do anything we wanted to do. Traffic it was out there, and oh, what a show that was. Oh my gosh. Every juror that I knew of gave him a big fat hug. It was very, very tearful. And I said, hey, all of us are crying. Is that normal? And something like that, you get very emotional. In the aftermath, a lot of questions remained. How had the jury come to their verdict? How did they listen to hours of tape of Jim Trafficking talking about taking bribes and come to the conclusion that he was innocent? What about the tapes? We rejected the tapes. How come? Just figured there wasn't enough evidence. What do you think happened to the money? We don't know. Did the jury ever visualize the, uh, the government as the bad guys and, and the sheriff as the good guy? Did you ever come to that point? Well, I, I would have to say uh, at a certain point during the deliberation, that was discussed. It's been almost 40 years since trafficking was acquitted, and juror Don Mumford has had time to reflect on his role in the trial. I have a tough question for you. I may not have a good answer. Do you think he was guilty? Uh, yeah. Uh, a couple weeks later, there he is sitting at a desk, and he's looking straight at the camera, and he says, I took the money. Mumford is probably talking about this moment 
on YTV News. The money was taken when it finally came down. I took it off the street so it wouldn't be used against me, and I returned it. And that will But for Mumford, trafficking taking money from the mob was beside the point. The I took the money thing wasn't a big factor right. in my book. But he was guilty of being bribed by the mob. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we can't deny that. Whether he was guilty or not, the prosecution shot themselves in the foot by being so mean and nasty. And that had a lot to do with our decision. He won the popularity contest. That's, I think that's the way to say it. Back in Youngstown, Trafficken threw a victory party and people packed into a banquet hall to congratulate him. Before Trafficant could even step in the door, he had shaken 50 hands and kissed just as many women. To the tune of Rocky III's Eye of the Tiger, Jim Trafficant had officially come home. The atmosphere resembled a festival. A stuffed junkyard dog in a hurricane was displayed, and banners hinted at what might be Trafficant's next venture. Across the crowd at Trafficant's victory party, people held signs in the air. They read simply, Jim Trafficant for Congress. On the next episode of Crooked City, the mob gets out of control. We're facing a new generation, terrorizing citizens, draining our economy, in many cases taking over legitimate businesses. You know, theft was our thing, or maybe arson here or there, you know, planting a bomb somewhere, that type of stuff. Crooked City is a production of Truth Media in partnership with Sony Music Entertainment. The show is produced by Catherine Sullivan, Olivia Briley, Zach St. Louis, and Alexa Burke. Ryan Swikert is our senior producer. Story editing is by me, Mark Smerling, and Ryan Swiker. Voice acting by Nick Dietz, Nicholas Gray, Maria Lenzi, and Pete Giovagnoli. Kevin Shepard is our associate producer. Scott Curtis is our production manager. Johnny Cecatelli, our local producer in Youngstown. Fact-checking by Donia Suleiman. Michael Blumenfeld did the mix. Sound design by Michael Blumenfeld and Ryan Swiker. Music by Kenny Kusiak and Marmoset. Our title track is Hurricane Heart Attack by the Warlocks. Continue the conversation online by tweeting at Crooked City Pod. That's at Crooked City Pod. If you've enjoyed Crooked City, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps others find the show. And thanks for listening. <laughs>